we're not going to be the type of pitching staff that we're going to stand around in the outfield on the warning track and check balls. Forget that, man. Uh, we're going to get better. So we're going to do things to get us better. Hey guys, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve, your source for the most up-to-date coaching strategies for player and coaching development. Jonathan Gellner here. Today we have on Flower Mound High School pitching coach, Ben Sarter. Coach Sarter takes us through their entire fall. He also shares what they do for their mental game prep, and then it gives us some insight into what he does to make sure his POs aren't just shagging and running poles. I love this conversation with Coach Ben Sarter. Coach Sarter, thanks for being on Ahead of the Curve. Hey man, it's good to be here. Well, I'm extremely excited to get you on the show, but for our listeners, can you tell us about your story and tell us why you got into coaching in the first place? Well, getting into coaching was an easy decision for me. I am the son of a coach. My dad's coached in Irving for 30 plus years. He was a head baseball coach at Irving High School for a long time, took over after uh, Richard Valena, and my mom was a middle school science teacher. So I was brought up in the field house pretty much. All my dad's friends are coaches. And that's pretty much uh, the life I grew up in. So from an early age, I knew that I was going to be a coach. My dad was actually my high school baseball coach uh, when I was growing up playing baseball. So it was difficult. You know, the, the father-son coaching dynamic is, is oftentimes a little treacherous. But we figured it out, man. It was pretty fun. I, I got a baseball scholarship to go to Tarleton State to play. And after four years of playing there, I asked our head coach, uh, Jack Allen, also I didn't realize this until later on after I coached for him, but he's uh, he was a member of the ABCA Hall of Fame. So I, pretty pretty cool for me to coach under him. It's like, you know, you look back and you're like, geez, man, I wish I would have learned a little bit more from that guy. But end up coaching for him uh, for two years after I was done playing. You know how college baseball is. We got double dipped in the Lone Star Conference tournament my second year coaching at Tarleton. And my head coach said he was going to retire. And I sent letters out to A&M and Tech and Texas and Howard Payne, pretty much anywhere that would take anybody and um, didn't get anything, no feedback. And I asked my head coach, what do, you, what do you think I should do? And he said, well, I think you ought to look elsewhere, look for a job somewhere else. So my dad was still at Irving High School. He had, he'd moved on to becoming a, an assistant athletic director. So the head coach, the head football coach was still the same one that my dad worked for, Jim Bennett. And I called him and they had an opening, got an interview set up and jumped in with both feet. And uh, actually, you know, in Texas, you got to you got to coach football. So I only played football up to my sophomore year. So I was a little hesitant about coaching football. But, man, they did a great job teaching me a few pointers about football. And it's like coaching anything, you know. That's what I did, man. I, I started uh, at Irving High School, and I was a JD coach there for two years, or three years, actually. And then and then I started getting smart, man. Then I was like, you know what? Forget this coaching stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out in the business world. I'm going to make some real money. I started working at Enterprise, the, you know, the car rental place. I wasn't one of those people who uh, stands at the airport and asks what kind of car you want. I, I didn't do that kind of stuff, but... Uh, I was in business-to-business sales, so I was kind of shy growing up, believe it or not. Not like a lot of people, you know, not shy on the baseball field, but outside of the baseball field, kind of shy. But that kind of got me out of my comfort zone, taught me how to 
to walk up to somebody and have a conversation and begin a conversation and, and talk to people. That was good. I did that for six years. And then, I, man, the first three years I was in it, I was like, dude, I have got to get back into coaching. I mean, I'm just missing it. My wife is saying, hey, why don't you coach? You got to go coach something. You know, so me and my wife talked about it and uh, had a good buddy of mine. He's the head coach at Arlington High. He said, um, why don't you coach my fall team, man? I got a pretty good group. So I coached those guys for three years, uh, varsity fall team for three years. And after that, one of my, the guy that I took over with, in 2003 at Irving, Barry Rhodes, he was at Haltom High School and he was leaving. And he said, dude, I, you need to get with Jason Blevins and you need to work with him at Haltom. So thank goodness he was able to hire me, man. I got on. Me and him worked great together. I mean, it was fun being back in baseball and being back on the field. It was freaking great to me. We went to the playoffs for the first time uh, since 94, back in 2012. After we, you know, we got beat in the first round of the playoffs, Irving High called back and asked me if I wanted to take the head position, uh, head baseball coach. And I said, yeah. You know, I thought I knew everything. I was like, you know, jacked up, fired up to go over there and get after it. You know, so I did. I called the four guys, five guys that I normally call if I'm ever thinking about making a stupid decision or a good decision. I called those guys and I was like, man, what do you think? Inner city school, I don't know about this one. They're not just handing out head coaching spots all the time. So I took it, you know, I took a risk. Man, I really learned a lot those two years. I think I only won like eight games. It wasn't very fun on the winning and losing side, but did develop a lot of relationships and learned a lot about baseball. And then, you know, if you're a fisherman, you got to go where the fish are, right? So a job came open at Flower Mound and I immediately got on the horn with some people that I knew here and got myself in front of a Texas Tech alumni. My wife's an ex-Texas Tech cheerleader, so that was a pretty much a shoe-in. So I got in, in front of him face-to-face, and you know he was like, well, the principal is telling me I need to interview you, but it turns out you're, you're a pretty good dude. You know, you're a pretty good coach. <laughs> so it worked out in my favor, man. Had my interview with Coach Wallace for the baseball side of it, and man, we hit it off. I was teaching some of the same stuff that they were they were diving into, and the only thing different was the fish. So that's where I started and, and where I'm at. You know, I should also say my, my brother has also been a pretty heavy influence on me as well as my dad. You know, my dad coached me all growing up. My brother's six years younger than me, and he's way different. I was a catcher. He's a pitcher. I'm 6'1". He's like 6'6", 270. He pitched for the Dodgers a little bit and uh, got released by the Giants, finished up with some independent ball. But he is now the head coach at Irving High School. I don't know if it's a record or something, but we've had three different starters be the head coach at Irving High School, which is crazy. And so talk to us about Flower Mound. What does it mean to be a Flower Mound High School Jaguar? We have core covenants at Flower Mound. And I tell you what, it's a big program. There's lots of tradition. Our administration is great. We don't have great problems. I know a lot of people have to check grades and worry about that kind of stuff. I think this this will be my this is the end of my third year now, and I think we've had one prop, one grade problem in baseball, and that's it, man. So the, the pressure is great. The kids are great, but the pressure is big, but the pressure is not to do well. You know, it's not to get into the playoffs. The pressure is to win. The pressure is to, to go deep, to sign a Division I scholarship. You know, we have BITE, B-I-T-E, belief, integrity, toughness, and excellence, and those are the, the four core values that we try to instill in our kids. You know, we have 
white-collar kids. They're pretty wealthy. They're not hurting for much. So what we try, what we're trying to do there is trying to take that those white-collar kids and incorporate a blue-collar mentality. So they're not hurting for anything. But what we're trying to do is make it tough. You know, that's where that toughness comes in. And we hit it right from the fall. These kids are, are good. And there's there's two high schools in Flower Mound. You know, there's Flower Mound Marcus and there's Flower Mound. We pretty much got the same kids. And they're, they're all, for the most part, white-collar kids. The difference is just a div- dividing line. We didn't have two teams in Flower Mound in the third round of the playoffs because we're lucky. Our kids work their tail off. They, they work hard. They worked harder than I worked in high school. I'll tell you that right now. And, uh, and it means something to them. You know, they're, they're not used to failing. So when they do, it makes them work harder. It fuels their fire. So what does it mean to be a Jaguar man? It, there's pressure. You know, I'm not going to say there's no pressure, but it's a good kind of pressure. You know, pressure equals pleasure. So all the hard work, all the uh, fight, all the toughness that you get by the journey when you win or even if you lose, you know, at least you did everything. You left no doubt as to far as uh, how far you could go. So that's what it means to be a Jaguar. Well, I love that, and I love the BITE acronym. And you mentioned that you guys start toughness stuff in the fall. So can you take us through what you guys do in the fall? We have two athletic baseball periods. So we have our, our classes are 90 minutes, and we go four periods a day. So our first period is freshman baseball. We'll probably have about 25 or 30 kids that come out for that class. Before they enter that class, they got to have a schedule change form ready to go. And we get one week, really four days to try them out. Coach Wallace normally, normally likes to keep about anywhere from 12 to 15 kids in that class. And that's where we start with those guys. And then we get the luxury of beginning to start on those kids with some of our you know, defensive stuff and offensive stuff and how we're going to teach things. So we also have third period baseball, which for me, I'm, I get to be in there because I take third period as my conference period. So I'm in with the, with all of the JV and all of the varsity that's returning from the previous year. So we start right from the first day. What we'll do is we'll have tryouts for that also, just so that we can, I don't know any other way to say it, trim the fat a little bit. It's not supposed to be fun. So really what we're looking for from each class is five guys, five guys that can play ball. So if we get five guys, whether that's a pitcher, a catcher, two outfielders, and one infielder, that's fine. We just try to carry over five guys that are going to play on the varsity every single year. Now, they may not be on the varsity their sophomore year, but that's the goal. We want five guys. After we do our tryouts, we're going to go skills for about the first six weeks. So outfielders will work outfield drills. Uh, infielders stick with infield. I work with the catchers and the pitchers. And basically what we do is just play. You know, we'll go through and have a regular practice. And then at the end of that six weeks, we'll have a fall world series to pretty much wrap it up. After that fall world series, I think it's like the best out of three games. We really only get about four innings in a day because after we get out there and warm up, stretch, throw, then, you know, that's pretty much all we got. Really, most guys have to go back to class fourth period, so we kind of got to get them in there and shower it up and go. After we finish up with our Fall World Series, then we, we get cranked up on our weight program. And on our weight program, we're going to lift Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. The other two days, we'll go outside and we'll do some sort of conditioning work, seven innings of hell or 
Uh, we do that for about 10 weeks. Near the end of that 10 weeks, then we'll start to get into some more individual time. After, after we get finished with our Fall World Series, if we're doing weights or skills or conditioning, no matter what, we get our kids on the track and run a quarter. And we run a quarter for time every single day. And I'll tell you what, they hate it. The first one we started like 70, which is not, not bad, but we get down to, uh, to like 62, 63, 62 second quarters. And if you make it, you're done. If you don't make it, you got another one. And, uh, the other one's not for time, but you still gotta, still gotta do it. And, uh, it gets pretty competitive. The, uh, last thing we do is we'll get our guys into teams and through those teams, uh, they'll just compete. Like we'll have sled pushes and, relay races and the last event on the very last day is uh the relay the quarter relay everybody run a quarter everybody will do it and uh, it just so happens the pitchers won last year so it made me happy you know they sucked it up a little bit so that's good and that's pretty much our fall so what do you guys do to transition from the off season to the preseason at the end of the fall we get things set up uh to go into into the spring so we pretty much have our varsity set, but what we need to do is set up things for the JV and how our tryouts are going to go. There's a little like week layover with the new semester and the old semester and also Christmas breaks in there. So it's a little difficult to navigate sometimes too. But uh, normally the way it works is the past three years, the way it's worked is in transition, we have about a week, a week after or a week before we have a tryout is when the new semester starts. So if we get back in uh, January sometime, we'll have a week before we go to the ABCA. And during that week, that's when we have our tryout. And we don't have it after school because we can't start baseball then. So, you know, just like in the fall, we'll have everybody in the period. What they'll have to do is go get a schedule change for them. They'll have to fill it out and sign it and be ready to go to move to another class just in case they get cut. And uh, we'll try out during the period only. So we'll get arm strength and velocity and foot speed, stuff like that. And so by the time the first day of baseball, we're done trying out with all that stuff. We've already moved people in the net, in the class or out of the class, and we can actually practice on the first day. You know, we, we don't have to wait. I think that's great. I think that's a good way to do it. And uh, I bet more people wish they could do it that way. But how many days do you waste trying out kids when you should be practicing? That was our thought on it. How do you guys implement the mental game during the fall? A lot of people don't have the luxury of an hour and a half class, and and we do. So within that hour and a half class, we're supposed to have 30 minutes of study hall, which works out perfect for us because we use that 30 minutes to study the middle game. So we do that starting in the fall. Uh, the first 30 minutes, we do middle game, and then, and then we roll into whatever we're doing that day. Monday, we're going to the weight room. And if it's Tuesday, we're going weight room. If it's Wednesday, we're going skill. So that's kind of the way we roll out. So that's the way we've done it for the past three years. So talk to us about what type of mental game stuff that you guys go over. Well, we've done a lot of different things. We've read books uh, as a group. What we did this year is we went over Brian Kane's 12 Pillars of Peak Performance. Every kid has a notebook, and they're responsible for that notebook. And the first day, what we do is we sit down and we tell them what we're going to do. Hey, we're going to go through the, you know, the 12 Pillars. And us as coaches, we kind of map it out to where... When we finish the last pillar, it's going to be, you know, end of January to where we hit the ground rolling. We, we talked about routines and, and process and things like that. So 
every day we just attack one of them. You know, we put a video on and let him walk it, walk us through it. And we see how many we can get through in 30 minutes. Sometimes it takes us 30 minutes. Sometimes it takes us 40. But it's important that each kid have an accountability partner. So if a kid is absent, because that's going to happen, you know, we're in high school, kids get sick. If you're absent and you miss a day, then those kids need to uh, have responsibility. You know, they got they need to go to their accountability partner and say, hey, man, what I missed yesterday in middle game? Well, here's what you missed. And, you know, they catch each other up. And if we get caught up, you know, if we need to slow down, tap the brakes a little bit on the middle game, then what we'll do is we'll have a day of accountability partner, you know. So if you missed and you, you forgot to catch up or, you know, you, you failed and you didn't do anything, or maybe you just want to go over something again, then that, we give them that time to do that. I'll tell you what, if that 30 minutes is crucial to us because we get to install the entire mental game. So when kids are thinking bad thoughts or, you know, we get into the – when you, when you put the memo game in, you have your own language, you know, so you can speak in your own language. Hey, man, are you in green lights? You know, hey, if you're in red lights, you need to get your butt off the mound, you know, get in the grass. That's one of my things. You know, we teach them about a routine and, and the, the big parts of the routine. They can fine tune their routine to where, you know, in big games, you know, they're, they're not so much worried about it because they're worried about me getting on their case about not doing a good routine. So they can just go out and it, the atmosphere doesn't matter. You know, they can just, you know, take their breath and go through their their routine, focal point, and then execute the pitch. You know, we're not really worried about the scenario of where they're pitching, but we're worried about just uh, dominating the routine, making sure that we do that instead of uh, letting the, the moment get to us. So that, man, I can't tell you how much that 30 minutes is. It's uh, If we didn't have it, I don't think we'd be as good, to be honest with you. We couldn't teach that middle game. We, we use that as a time to talk about our core covenants, you know, like I spoke about earlier, belief, integrity, toughness, and excellence. What we do is we attach a varsity player to a JV player and both of those varsity and JV players to a, a kid on the freshman team. They'll take them out to eat or uh, just hang out at somebody's house, but they'll have to, they'll have to talk about all four of those core covenants. In the past, we've had kids get up and have to pick a word that describes our team. And we do that during the middle game time. So uh, they'll get up and say, I think our team is uh, resilient. We've shown that we can bounce back from anything. And then they'll have to talk about O'Core Covenant. What do you think integrity means? Well, integrity is doing the right thing, even when nobody's looking. And if we didn't have that 30 minutes, we couldn't instill that into our players. You know, they, they wouldn't know. They would know the words and they would know what they mean, but they wouldn't see what they mean, if that makes any sense. No, and I think that you're using that opportunity to let the varsity kids know some of the JV kids as well. So at a at a large school like Flower Mound is, I'm sure a lot of those varsity kids don't know the JV kids as well. And and so that's that's a great, great team building exercise, in my opinion. We have 3,300 kids at our school, man. And that's out of control. That's a lot of kids. And that's not even the biggest one in Texas, but... So that means we got a lot of teachers. I swear to goodness, anytime we have a faculty meeting or something or we have one of those dinners, I see people I've never seen before in my entire life. I've never seen some of these teachers. And I've been there. This is my fourth year. There's some people that have been there uh, twice as long as me. I, I'll never know. I've never met them just because the school's so big. I understand that for sure. I was at Union, which we had, <clears throat> I think, 5,000 kids in the high school. And, and every day I would see kids walking down the uh, – 
down the halls and I'd be like, I've never seen this kid before in my entire <laughs> yeah. life. So how do you guys co- integrate competition in practices? You hear a lot of coaches that everybody is going towards this competition-based everything, which is great. I love it. And so how do you guys integrate competition into practices? Early, uh, when we don't play, you know, everybody's got that. We start on a Friday and then we got two weeks before we jump right into scrimmages. So those two weeks are hard because you're not looking forward to a scrimmage for the next, you know, eight days of practice. And we have limited number of hours that we can practice. So it's hard, man. And, you know, we've been practicing in the fall. Man, we're getting ramped up. And then on the first day of baseball, ah, we got to wait two more weeks. You know, so I think I think it's hard when these guys are ready to rock and roll. It's hard for them to tap the brake. So the competition and practice, you know, you, you pretty much got to have it. So the first four days is pretty much Fundy period. You know, we're working on fundamentals and uh, learning each position. We might even have some guys move positions because of an offensive situation. So until we get into a set district schedule, we'll practice Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday and Saturday. So we got games on Tuesday and Friday. Here's what we do. Inner squad. Our inner squad games are pretty much Wednesday and Thursday. And then if we get into the playoffs, it's pretty much inner squad uh, every day. Because what we're going to have is we're going to have pitchers that haven't pitched. You know, if we have a Tuesday night guy, supposed to be in relief on Tuesday, he didn't pitch, he needs to throw com- something competitive on Wednesday. So we'll have him do that. And the same thing in a playoff series. You know, we need guys to throw pins. Well, let's make them throw live pins. You know, let's make it competitive. So we'll do that before we get into the playoffs, and that seemed to help us a lot. Another thing that we do is we play a points game. Well, we'll divide them up into teams of four. So we'll always have a team in the field. Uh, so it's really not a, a Navy versus Silver. That, those are our uh, school colors. So it, it's really not two different teams. It's like four guys versus the rest of them. So we'll have four guys at the plate, and they'll get to pick one of eight scenarios uh, to get points for. So put it to you this way. The hardest scenario is down by three, two outs, nobody on base. You know, we just set the pitching machine up and we'll put it on breaking ball away or fastball away or high fastball, you know, whatever pitch that we think we're going to see the most of. And they'll just have to compete. You know, they'll have to get in there and score four runs or they get zero points. Uh, now, not all the scenarios are like that. It could be run around second, two outs, tie ball game. So first guy comes up, he gets a hit. Well, then they get eight points or however much that scenario is worth. If you want to make it more fun, then you put higher numbers on it. Hey, this is worth 80 points. So at the end, you know, uh, obviously the first group trying to get as many points as they can. So they're probably going to get 60 or 70 points. Depending on how risky they want to go with their scenarios, they can kind of choose how they get their points. But the pressure's on the third group, man, you know, because the second group either beat them or they fell short. They know they're going to lose. The third and fourth group, Man, they got to get after it. They got to get some crucial hits, you know, which transfers over to the game. Cause I think we've all been there. Hey, down by one, nobody on, you know, let's get it done. Most of the time it only takes four batters. Sometimes it just takes one, but as soon as they get that scenario done, they go through. So they'll go through five scenarios, see how many points they can get. And then we'll flip it out. Uh, we'll have four new guys come hit and we do that a couple of times. That's fun. The kids like that one. One good way that that we put 
competition or instill it into our infielders as defensively. We call it good guys versus bad guys. So we'll put all the outfielders at home plate. We call those the bad guys. And the, the good guys, we'll put our, uh, our best infield out there. And what we'll do is whoever's hitting, we'll have the, the bad guys turn around facing the wall. So they have to go on the, on sound of the fungo. So as soon as I, they hear the fungo, they take off. What the infielders have to do is they have to roll a double play, perform a cutoff up the middle, or throw it back to the, to the base that it was hit at, and then uh, go around the horn before the base runner gets all the way to the plate. So if you kind of pick, it's kind of hard to explain, but if you kind of picture that in your head, we have the base runner, as soon as he hears the ball hit off the fungo, run down the first baseline, doesn't matter if he's out or safe, he'll hit the bag and break down and look to his right, pretend like uh, the ball got through, and then from there, he pretty much goes first to score. So the ball is hit to the third baseman, he's going to roll two, catcher's going to catch the ball and throw it back to third, Third baseman's going to throw it back to home, and then they we're going to go around the horn with it. And if we can go around the horn with it before the uh, base runner gets home, you know, that's a point for the good guys. I will say the majority of the time, the bad guys win, man. It's pretty hard to do, to be honest with you. Uh, there's a lot of throwing. One bad throw by the infielders, I mean, the guy can walk home pretty much. The first time I did it with the varsity, it was way bad guys. The bad guys won. I don't even think the good guy's got a point, to be honest with you. But I tell you what, the more they do it, the better they get at it. And then by the end of the year, we were doing it. Uh, the outfielders were kind of getting hacked because uh, they weren't getting any runs, you know, because we were throwing and catching so well. But it just promotes your guys to uh, to throw and catch and, and attack the ball before they before they get it. Plus, guys are running, so it means something. They want some points. If you make it fun, your kids are going to make it fun. You know, I mean, if you if you think it's boring, it's going to be boring. Another thing that we do, we call it our 50s. We probably should have done more 50s last year, to be honest with you. Our bunks weren't very good, but here's what we do, man. We stick a, a pitching machine up in the middle, and we got our, uh, you know, we got our ball cart uh, right by the pitching machine, and we get everybody lined up at home plate, all right? And we get them, everybody gets their bat, and we can divide it up however we want. You know, we can go, um, we can go 15 30s, which are push bunts to first base. We go 15 uh, 50s, which are uh, drag bunts to third base. That's 30. Then we go uh, 10 sacks and then 10 slashes. So for a total of 50. So everybody gets one. All right. So if you're in a cage, you're going to get a fastball or a breaking ball or whatever the pitching machine's on. And your job is to hit that 30. You're trying to push bunt to first base. This is on a time, on a timer. So as soon as that first pitch throws, Man, we start to clock. And how fast we can get in and out of that cage, we try to beat that time every day. I bet we do it at least three times a week. And sometimes we beat it, sometimes we don't, but we're always chasing the clock. So if you're in the cage and you hit a foul ball, you, you know, you, you got to stay in the cage. If you were shooting for 30s and you bunt a 50, then it's a fair ball, so you got to get out. But if you hit a foul ball, you got to get back in there. And that is competitive because there's nothing more frustrating and not being able to put a bunt down, you know, and that puts a little pressure on. It's not like we're up in the cage and uh, plenty of time. I mean, we're putting the time on it. We need to get it down fast. And so uh, that puts a little pressure on us, which is more, which is more game like. I mean, that's really what you want to do in practice. You want to try to duplicate game scenarios, which is extremely hard to do. 
but you kind of want to put some pressure on your guys to where when it gets in a game, they're used to that pressure and they can try to get it done, you know, so it, it puts a little pressure on them. So what about pitchers? How do you put pressure on them? As far as pitchers go, sometimes we'll have the batter stand in there. That's pressure. They won't swing. They won't get to swing, but they'll stand in there. Uh, we got some dummies that we put in there. Sometimes we put two dummies on both sides of the plate and have a pitcher throw a bullpen. If the pitcher's feeling really good, maybe we'll scoot those two guys in closer to the plate. If we can get them within 18 inches of each other and the guy's still throwing strikes, then we know we're good. We've had some dummies partially broken, I'll tell you that. Some guys don't feel good all the time, but still, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun that way. Either way, it's it's good. So while we're on the subject of pitching, take us through what you guys would do, what you would do with your pitchers on a weekly basis. And you can go, if you would, go just day to day. I don't know if, if I like this or if I didn't like this. I did this this year, uh, and I think we might have gotten some kickback uh, from the everyday players, but used to. Our pitchers did the same dynamic as our everyday players. Now, I jumped in and I was like, well, we don't need to do the same dynamic and same stretching because we're not doing the same. Like, pitchers don't need to do base running. So, you know, I, I probably have 14, 15 POs. So, I have my own crew. So, I took the liberty of doing a specific dynamic. So, we have our dynamic. The pitchers go out there and they do their stuff. When we do our stuff, it's we do a little bit of jogging to get a sweat going. So, 60% jog. And then we do side karaoke with arm swings, pulling back and forth 90 feet. And I'm talking about right after I make them run two poles at 60%. So down and back. And then right into that, they go into side karaoke uh, with arm swings. And they do that 90 feet, which is easy to judge because that's the length of a base. They do that down and back. After that, then we cut it in half. Then we go 45 feet. All right. So then we're going uh, a skip forwards. And it, there's no rest time in between. It's not time to chew the fat with your buddies. We're not using uh, our dynamic time to catch up on what happened in third period. You know, we're trying to get after it. You know, let's get better. So that's what we're trying to do. A skip forward, A skip backwards, arms above their head. Then we go B skip. And the, the B skip is really important because we do that in pitching. You know, we're going to we're gonna get that leg up to go towards the plate. So I really emphasize that. Then we do some uh, walking knee circles forward, just trying to open up our hips a little bit. So Monday, after we dynamic, then we go straight into PFP. I'm probably going to change that this year because a lot of my guys wanted to, they wanted to throw a little bit before we went into PFP, which is fine. You know, it's probably, I probably screwed up on that, but we did it this year. Everything's trial and error. So I I screwed up. We're going to do it different next year. We go straight into PFP. So I put two guys at first base with a bucket and I get, a bucket of balls at home plate, and I'm just going to hit them. We're trying not to make the pitchers throw at all. So uh, if they get one right back, right back to the mound, boy, they better start sprinting their butt over to first base, and they need to underhand that. So if we can underhand it, we're going to underhand it. You know, we practice those flips. We do a whole round of PFP. I'm talking about we have the the pitcher scoot out and cover first. You know, we do the short bunts, uh, the short 30s, the short 50s, right at them. I make the uh, I make them carry the buckets to second base. We do comebackers to where they have to throw to to second for a double play. We do pick plays at at third to where you know I'll hit them a, a fifty and they'll have to um, get over there and maybe backhand it to the third baseman for a force play. And then we'll do uh, glove flips to home uh, later on in the year when we were playing on turf. 
I'd back up a little bit and I'd hit some hard choppers off our um, turf that's behind home plate to kind of simulate that high hop that you might get on the turf field. But after we do that, I have a callback that I use with our guys and I'll just say, hey, give me one, you know, and then they'll clap. So I'll say, hey, gloves off, give me one. And then we'll clap and they'll go straight from that. They'll go to bands. And when they go over there to their bands, the first few days I was over there and I was beating them up on it. But then, you know, I got to coach two positions. So I'm pitchers and catchers. So then I'm working with the catchers. So when they go over there to their bands, it's just a normal J band uh, routine. You know, they're going to, it's probably going to take them anywhere from four to six minutes to go through that. They're pretty good at doing it uh, over the, t- over the head, internal, external, working on opening up some scaps, pulls, and kind of some holds, pinching the scaps together. After they do their bands and they go, uh, pl- we do a set of plyo balls, straight balls. We have a bunch of pads that we set up. I set up along one side of our batting cage. I, I mean, everybody calls it different and everything, but I just say, hey, balls to the wall. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but that, that's what we say. So they take uh, their plyo balls and they go to the wall. And what we start there is it's a lot about technique there. So we, we kind of cut the reps down because we're, we're starting with a two-pound wall uh, early and then – as the year goes on, the balls will get less heavy and the reps will get lower because we kind of know where we need to be. And I'm a big field guy. Like if, if your arm tells you to go out to 300, get out there, man. You know, if you want to do it four days in a row, go. You know, so every day is a throw to field day for us pretty much. I had a kid tell me this. I threw a pin yesterday. I think I'm going to take it easy today. I was like, bull crap, man. Uh, you're not taking it easy. I said, if your arm doesn't hurt, you need to feed it. You know, so I'm a big uh, Alan Jager guy too. So that's what we do. You know, we're not going to be the type of pitching staff that we're going to stand around in the outfield on the warning track and shag balls. Forget that, man. Uh, we're going to get better. So we're going to do things to get us better. So what does your balls to the wall series look like? So we do, we start with, we do five things. We do uh, reverse throws, pivot picks, rockers, uh, roll-ins, and then we're going to finish with some walking windups. Now we're going to do all this stuff with weighted balls. So I know everybody's big on like, oh, weighted balls, but man, you know what? I had to put in some research to be honest with you because I was scared. When you're going into coaching a pitching staff like you have at Flower Mound, you got a bunch of Division One pitchers, guys throwing in the 90s, you know. I'll put my pitching staff up against a lot of college pitching staffs, to be honest with you. And not to sound cocky, but son of a gun. I had three guys throwing in the 90s this year, you know. I mean, what, what high school staff has that? What college staff has that? Uh, I know when I was playing in college, I caught two guys, only two guys, in all four years that were throwing over 90. I'm not sure I can catch these dudes. I'm talking about two seams running all over the place. But uh, I was worried about not being able to push these guys. You know, like, oh, man, I don't want to hurt these guys' arms. You know what? They're just kids, man. They they need some structure. So I dug into it, and I did research, and, you know, I got everything I needed from Driveline. I got everything I needed from uh, Alan Jager, uh, Jager Sports. Even so, went as so far as to use the core velocity belts with Lance Wheeler. And I pretty much just took what I wanted and I left what I didn't. So what I liked, what I think would help us as far as with velocity and control uh, and arm strength and recovery, 
I took and all the other stuff that I didn't think was important, you know, uh, I kind of just, uh, pushed it off to the side until maybe I have another problem. Maybe I need it again. So that's what we do. So after we do those pivot picks, then I'm kind of big on, uh, leg strength and ankle extension because I think the, the more flexible you are in the lower half, probably the better you're going to be getting off the mound. So we go straight to the hurdles and we have two sets of four hurdles. We got eight hurdles. So, you know, we just walk over them one time and after we walk over them, then we'll, we'll go over them sideways. Uh, we'll, we'll put them on the lowest rung, of course, and then we'll walk over them. Then we'll do kicks over them. And then the last thing we do, uh, of course, we'll go right leg lead, left leg lead. And then when we work the side, we'll go uh, right leg lead, left leg lead, work on the side. We'll go down the right side and we'll go down the left side. So four or five times through. And then the last thing we'll do is we'll do some extension hops. So we'll do bounding over them. So we'll have, you know, get into a squat position. And let's go. And they'll just go over the first one, over the second one, over the third one, and over the last one. And there's no, there's no, hey, stop, gather your feet. I'm talking about as soon as you hit the ground, explode up, you know, and see how high you can get up. And it, it worked for the most part for us this year. Uh, and I'm sure there's things that I will tweak and twist and add to, but man, our guys were not sitting around. And, and you know what? All the stuff I'm talking about, this is our regular stuff that we do every day. And, we have yet to pick up a baseball. We haven't thrown it yet. So we've already done our pre-throw routine, basically. Like I said, every day is a touch to feel. Now, you and I both know if you just roll the balls out there and say, okay, you guys get loose, ain't going to get nothing done. You know, they're going to get out there and they're going to play some sort of a game. It's going to turn into a fly ball contest. I structured it. I said, here's, here's seven things that you're going to do every day. This is how you're going to warm up, okay? And if you don't like one, then we're going to skip it. It's pretty much the way it's going to be. So we, we start off with with just uh, windmills, pretty much. Like if, if you want to picture a softball pitcher in your head with just the arm going around and around and around and then let it go underhanded, that's what we do. We do – that's the first thing we do. We do it underhand. We do it overhand. And the faster you do it, the harder you do it, the more you're going to get out of it. You can do it slow, not get anything out of it, or you can – you can get after it, and that's the way we start. I told the guys that I don't mind if they throw the weighted balls. So for the most part, we're going to start with the yellow ball. It's like, a, I want to say it's a 15-ounce ball. We're not going to throw that ball further than 90 feet, and we're never going to throw it on the line, ever. And our, my guys know that, and, and that's the way it is. I don't want to do any pull-downs with weighted balls. I don't want to do – everybody's like, oh, it puts a lot of pressure on your elbow. Well, you know, science has proven that it actually puts less – stress on your elbow but still you're never going to throw a weighted ball from the mound in a competition so we're not going to do it so if we're going to use the weighted balls to strengthen our arm but we're not going to use them in competition so if they want to start with a yellow ball a 15 ounce ball uh, to get started then that's what they're going to do uh, i tell them to arc it over starting with the windmills and then we go both toes forward uh, heel to instep we're really just working on starting from the uh, from the middle, rotating around our shoulders to our target and finishing. Uh, we call that top half rotation. Really want to engage the core on that one and finish low with our hand out in front of us. Another thing that you can do on that one, the top half rotation, when you have your uh, heel to instep, is you can walk forward 
a little bit. We call it a three-step. That's one other one of ours. So you want to start with your, uh, if you're right-handed, you start with your right foot, take a step forward, and just walk and, th- and go into your throw. Rockers, we do that uh, as a third one. Uh, still, we want to keep our knees inside of our ankles. We're going to start in a set position, rotate on our pinky toe. Some guys rotate around the front hip, but we want to rotate and try to walk through our target just so that we're, we're working on getting some momentum going towards the plate so or to our partner. The two that our guys really like were the, uh, the one where we start in a set position, set position. We call that our uh, pinch and lag. What we're going to do with this one is uh, pretty much start in set position. We're going to pinch our knee inward, uh, kind of show some soul to the, to the catcher. Basically, what it looks like is we're bringing our knee to our, to our knee. You know, we're, we're pinching our knees together, showing a little bit of soul, and then we're finishing. All right, so it's not really a slide step. It's more like a quick step. Uh, we'll call it pinch and lag. And some guys get a little bit higher. Some guys use this as a drill to uh, get their hip flexors going and get, get everything going towards the plate. For rhythm and timing, we do, uh, I call it hand bump. So they'll start in a set position, uh, pinch their knees in, one bump at the top, one bump at the bottom, uh, just to create a leg lift and create a nice little rhythm. Some of our guys liked it so much they started pitching like that. You know, it just gave them a little more rhythm on the mound and they liked it. So some guys did it when they were throwing their fastball. Some guys did it when they threw in their curveball and it just worked for the, for them. Something, something new that they hadn't thought about. And then we do a uh, walking leg lift. That's, that's with, uh, they start in a set position. We get a little rhythm and it's kind of a, kind of a step behind pretty much walking leg lift, step behind with bringing our leg up, bringing our knee up and always finishing through that stuff. So, so it sounds like you guys are doing a ton of stuff. So when do you guys get bullpens in and what do those look like? After we get done throwing, depending on the day, if it's a Monday, uh, we'll have a pin. Maybe we'll, we'll do some handle med ball stuff to where we, we go side to side or X up and back. The way we do our bullpens is not traditional and, I've always known one way to do it, you know, uh, go in there and get your 30 pitch pin and, you know, hit, hit your spots and, and that's it. Well, you know, I'm not the traditionalist, I guess, you know, I want to do something different. So we do, you know, we pair up three guys at a time or whatever. And I don't know in a game where you're ever going to throw 30 pitches and be done. Uh, maybe if you're a reliever, but I want to train some starters. So we do sets, you know, we, we number our zones where we're going two through six, right down the middle, up and in, up and away, down and away, and down and in. And we go two, three, four, five, and six. So we're going to try to hit every zone. If we miss it, you know, we got to go back to it and try to hit it again. And then we, if we miss it again, then we got to move on to the next zone because uh, you and I know that sometimes we're going to pound that outside corner. But when we're ready to go inside, we don't need to miss. We don't need to miss middle. If we're going to miss, we need to miss in. So, you know, we need to practice our misses. So during our pins, that's what we're going to do. We're not going to throw the same spot more than twice because we hopefully we're not doing that in the game. And if we are doing that in the game, then either we're way better than them or we can't throw anything other than that. So maybe that we need to work a little bit more in the pin, but we're going to throw 15 or so pitches in the first cycle. And then uh, that pitcher is going to go sit out and then, the next guy's going to step up. He's going to get five warm-up throws, and then he's going to go. 
because that's realistic. And then after his 15 or so, 16 pitches, depending on how many spots he misses or hits, he's going to sit down and then the third guy's going to go. And so we got three guys going at one time. And let's say for me, I've got four mounds that I can use. So as long as I get four catchers, I can knock out 12 pitchers pins in I don't know, maybe 35 minutes. I mean, it, it shouldn't take that long. A little different uh, approach to the bullpens as far as that goes. I love that approach, and we do something really similar. We do 25 pitches for one pitcher and sit for one pitcher. So say pitcher A gets eight warm-ups, 25 pitches, while pitcher B charts. Now after pitcher A gets his 25 pitches, pitcher B gets eight warm-ups and then 25 pitches while pitcher A charts. So what do you guys do for, let's say, non-bullpen days during the week? No matter what we're doing, like if we have uh, sometimes our head coach will get with me and he'll say, hey, we need to do we need to work on some pickoffs. So, you know, we'll set the pickoffs up. That's normally what we do on Tuesday. We'll get a hula hoop out there on the mound and tell our guys that we want to keep their feet in the hula hoop, keep their feet underneath, underneath them and keep their hands close to their body when we're doing pickoffs. Wednesday's normally a core velocity belt day for us, so we'll go and strap on the core velocity belt uh, in increments. We only have four of them, so we'll go four at a time. With that core velocity belt, we're just working on rotating around that front hip and getting some good momentum going towards the plate. The core velocity belt just kind of enhances that. What I like to do with, with my guys, for a lot of starters, like I said, throw to feel every single day. So the dynamic... PFP or picks or core velocity belt or pins. After we do that, then we're going straight J bands, balls to the wall, hurdles, and then any defensive things that, that we need to work as far as covering the plate or, or whatever it needs to be. But, um, after that, we've done basketball throws. We've done med ball challenge to see, you know, just anything to strengthen our core. That's pretty much what we've done. Did I, did I leave anything out? I don't think so. That was a very in-depth look at that. So thank you for taking us through that. And I guess the only question I had regarding your pitching work is how do you get work for two-way guys? Well, luckily, I only had one of those guys this year. I'll tell you, he was pretty good. He's already committed to Texas. He hadn't signed yet, but he's the head coach's son. Of course, coach's son's always got to be good. I know that because I was a coach's son. (laughs) But um, in all seriousness, it's it's difficult. The way we did it this year was we had Austin come with the pitchers first. And what he did is he went through PFP with us and went through arm care and did our hurdles. And he threw the field every day with us. All right, so he got his pitching defense in. And by the time that the everyday players, after their individual fundamental period, then he would go with them. So he went all the way through – uh, that dynamic until we got to the point to where we were doing team defense. And then he had just finished throwing with the pitchers and then he went straight there. So after that, he was with them. So when they hit, he hit. So we kind of just, it was kind of a half and half type of practice. It's really hard, I'll tell you, because it's hard. You know, baseball is all about routines and sticking to your routine and, you know, offensive routine, defensive routine pre-game routine, pre-practice routine, all about it's a game of next, you know, next pitch, whatever. That's a that's a tough one, you know, and most of the time you're you know, it's not going to be your outfielder. Most of the time it's probably going to be your uh, your shortstop. So, shortstop's pretty much 
going to be one of the best athletes on the field. If I had to do it and one of our shortstops was pitching, I'd say minimal pitching work. I don't want him up there thinking about pitching because, truth be told, that's when uh, the majority of the pitchers mess up when they start thinking about it. So if I had to go back and do it again and it was a shortstop, I'd probably say, hey, man, uh, more defensive work. You know, we're probably going to use you more as a shortstop than we are a pitcher. So, hey, man, get after it. Get after it on defense, and then I'll get you a, a couple of pins a week. Maybe we'll we'll let you throw 15 or so pitches in an inter-squad game. That's probably the way that I would do it. And and we do that also. I'm not saying that we don't. But it's definitely something that, that I personally need to work on. So uh, that's how I did it this year. Not sure if it was the best way or the right way, but always looking for some place to get better. So I'll be doing a lot of research to try to figure out a better way to do that. Or, you know, if you want to be a two-way guy, you just have to do more, pretty much what it boils down to. You have to do more because you're expected to do more. Pitchers dial in on pitching and everyday players dial in on defense and hitting. Well, you have to do those things. So if it requires you to stay after, then stay after. If it requires you to uh, come early, then come early. Pretty much the bottom line. So, No, that definitely makes sense, and I'm always looking for ways to be able to do that. Is there anything that you have learned recently that you're really excited about? Well, uh, I had a problem this year with guys that were, I don't know, jumping off the mound. Like they weren't, they didn't have a really good drag line. You know, they weren't staying in their legs and uh, coming off well. So I had one of my buddies that worked for Tom House and NPA, National Pitching Association guy. So I went and, you know, I did some towel drills with him. And that's how we, we started our pins, you know. So our we'd have our, our touch and fill pin two days before. So we work on pitching off the mound. And then to get another day on the mound, the day before, we just have like a 15, 20-pitch towel pin only to work on mechanics. Because on game day, we are not working on mechanics, man. It's all about competing. So I don't want anybody to use that as a crutch or anything as far as, uh, man, you know, I just, my front shoulder, you know, but bull crap. I don't want to talk about that stuff on game day. I just want you to get out there and compete. So what I did was I had to, I had some guys that were super inconsistent, throwing hard, but couldn't find the zone. Maybe they started the year at like 88 then they were down like 84. I'm like, oh man. Hopefully it's not anything that I'm doing. But then I was watching them pitch, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, man. They're, everybody's throwing off their front foot. They're they're losing. So I started studying the kinetic chain and how uh, weight is transferred, you know, from your foot to your hip to your core to your shoulder and then out your hand, you know. And I started working on uh, pretty much hacking the, kinet- the kinetic chain, how some guys change their posture and how some guys don't. I'm going to dive into that, see if I can't learn a little bit more transfer that over to some of our guys. I only see that benefiting anyone. You know, if you're a pitching coach, if you learn the kinetic chain, you got to be happy with yourself because you you can pretty much fix anything. It's like, you know, it's like the queen bee effect. You know, if you you kill a queen bee, then all the other bees are going to scatter. So you fix one problem, all the other problems are going to, are going to fall right into place. I use the term getting into the ground a lot this year. And I think that that was, that was very beneficial for our guys. And so it's, it's similar to what you're talking about with using ground as a force. But mm-hmm. I, I think that one really helped out for our guys. You mentioned a couple of resources already. And some of the ones I've written down were Brian Kane, uh, Lance Wheeler, Driveline, and obviously J-Bands. 
are there any other resources that you guys use that you're that you just love? No, I think that's about it. I mean, we we really dive into as far as videos and uh, Brian Kane and all the uh, the pride and reading books stuff like that. Uh, as far as me, I do the daily dominator every day. I, you know what? I even do that in class because if you're not an athlete, you you probably don't get that kind of stuff. I've been listening to uh, a podcast called A Fighter's Mindset. It's this guy, Charlie Brenneman, who was, uh, they call him the Spaniard. I think it's pretty good. I mean, he talks about fighting and wrestling and stuff like that. But, you know, if you think about it, every day is a fight. You got to get up and you got to do something. Another one that, that I've kind of uh, listened to is, is called Baseball Dads. It's about dads who have gone through sons growing up in baseball and some of the mistakes that they made. Me being a baseball dad also, kind of beneficial, especially when you have a son and he's even remotely talented. You know, coaches' kids are, you know, they got to be the best. If you're a coach's kid uh, and you're a baseball player and you're going to go to Fly Mound, man, it's a lot of pressure to put on you. You know, that's, you will have to put in your time to get good. And the game rewards you for that, you know. And if you don't put in the time, the game is not going to reward you. Those are what I've been doing. Another guy that I, that I've used recently, probably the first guy ever that ever talked about the mental game was Steve Springer, quality at bats. He is good. What I like about Steve, I, I met Steve in Waco. I met, actually met him in, saw him in 2012, the ABCA in Anaheim. Uh, saw him again this year at the ABCA in Anaheim and saw him uh, again in Waco. And, um, you know, I talked to him. I was like, hey, man, you're the first dude that I ever met. And, you know, California guy, he talks like Alan Diego. Hey, man, yeah, it's great, awesome. So uh, <laughs> pretty fun to meet him, but he's probably the first guy that ever, that like changed my perspective of thinking, you know, about now I, I think in green lights a lot. And if, I, if I'm in red lights and maybe, you know, I can recognize that and, and turn myself back into green lights and always, always thinking positive and not so much worried about getting a hit every time, but just focus on what you can control and not focus on what you can't control. Uh, and that's the hardest thing to talk to you pitchers about, hitters especially. Hey, man, I know you just hit the crap out of that ball, but you hit it right to the shortstop, you know, so your batting average is going to go down. But we don't care about that. You know, at Fire Mountain, as far as offensive statistics go, <laughs> we don't care about batting average because that's not important to us. We care about our quality of bats. We care about guys hitting the ball hard, you know. No hitter is ever going to be mad that he hits too many line drives, you know. We're not going to start the season pitching and be like, well, you know, at the end of the season, we're like, geez, man, we, we freaking threw too many strikes this year, you know. I mean, <laughs> that's just not something that, that you're going to say. I, I like the way Spring thinks, and I kind of try to take some of his offensive mentality and put it to a quality inning, you know, quality pitches, executing quality pitches. Steve Springer's really good at that. That's another outside resource that I've used. Oh, I love it, Coach. And thank you so much for being with us today. But I know there are some people that would love to get in touch with you. So where can we find you online? Well, if you want to email me, I got two email addresses. It's bensarter at yahoo.com. That's B-E-N-S-A-R-T-O-R at yahoo.com. Uh, my school email address is sarterb at lasd.net, S-A-R-T-O-R, B as in boy, at lasd.net. At Coach Benny B on Twitter. I mean, I throw my cell phone out, 214-600-3903. You know, just like I tell my kids, you know, I don't mind you having my cell phone. 
Nobody called me at midnight and stuff. You know, I'm trying to get some rest. Sleep is extremely important to me. I got two kids and a wife, and I've already been through baseball season. So, man, I got to get some rest. But if you got something, man, I don't mind talking. I'll, I'll talk baseball with anybody. So is there anything else you'd like to add before you go? I was always hung up on being a head coach. Being a head coach is important. Don't get me wrong. And I, I, will, I want to be a head coach one day. I've been a head coach, so I kind of know how it's going to go. But I think if I was going to give any advice, it'd be, you know, make the job that you have now, make that your best job and bring energy every day. When I stop being Debbie Downer about, you know, oh, man, I'm, I'm not going to get this job or, you know what, screw it. This is my job right now. And unless somebody calls me, I ain't leaving. I'm going to make this job the best job. I want people to be like, holy crap, that Ben Sarter dude, he is freaking on it. Dude, we need to get him over here. That's what I want people to think about me. So, you know, to be honest, you know, it's, it's a job. You know, I mean, we, we got to teach. We, we could coach in football, but how really hard is teaching? You know, it's, it's really not. The curriculum's there. All you got to do is follow it. Plus, you get to coach baseball every day, man. You get to go out on the field and hit fungo. How many people get to do that? I get to bring my kids in a dugout. My son's a bat boy, you know, and he's around. They pay me to do that. It's freaking crazy, man. It's awesome. I got the best job in the world. So, you know, I'm just trying to be a positive influence, and I want guys to, uh, to remember me for that, and I'm going to make this job my best. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. I would love to get in contact with you to hear your thoughts on the podcast. There are two easy ways to do that. You can email me at jgellner7 at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at AOTC underscore podcast. Also, do you like to share ideas and have conversations with other baseball coaches? Just go to facebook.com and search Ahead of the Curve Coaches to join our group. It's free, so what have you got to lose? If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving a rating so others can find the show. Thanks for listening and have a great week.